So hey guys, tournament report. I went six one on day one of the pro tour. We're not going to talk about day two, but we are. But you know, let's have a bit of a tournament report. Hope you guys find this interesting. I always do them after my events. I always get pretty positive feedback, so I'll speak to you all soon. All right, so just got back from the pro tour in Lille. Um, this was like a like complete opposite of New Jersey for me. Um, we've just kind of finished massive heat wave in the summer in the UK. We've kind of just finished, um, you know, summer holidays, projects at work, like all this kind of stuff. So whereas like I went into the like pro tour in New Jersey with like, we'll say 60, 70 games on the deck that I played. Um, I actually only managed to go into the pro tour this time with about five or six games Um on the deck that I played, which is obviously just drastically underprepared for the tournament. And as we always say, the reps get you the wins. So, you know, it's not good enough really to show up and expect to do that well with the deck. There were, however, a few things in my favor. The first thing is, of course, was that the deck that I played was given to me by Jamie Faulkner, who most of you have probably heard of. He's quite a decent UK player, a friend of mine. Um, him and some other people have been working on this deck. And I just said, look, Jamie, I'm in a pretty bad place. I haven't had a chance to play the game in ages. You know, do you have that list I can play? Can I have that list? You know, and he gave it to me. It was a very nice gesture. Obviously, I didn't have like, you know, sideboard notes or anything like that. I was just, I was just kind of winging it. But he was like, "Look, just play this deck. It's reasonably optimized. We'll see how it goes." And I said, "Okay, cool. That's all I need. Let's go with it." Um, and also, you know, the deck that he gave me is Fi, and it is Ninja, and you know, Fi and Katsu do play quite differently, but one, there are so like, there are fair bits of crossover in terms of like reading the tempo shift, in terms of figuring out what a good mask threatened card is. Like it's, it's not like something like a snatch. Like you don't want to risk like threaten drawing two cards um, unless you're desperate for your opponent to block or they have no armor. It is something like a Phoenix Flame, for example, a lot of the time where you're just putting one in and saying, okay, give me a piece of armor or a three card block or I draw off Mask, and one of the great things actually about Fi is that you can do that twice in a turn. You can threaten masks twice in a turn with Go Again, and by doing that, actually force two cards out of your opponent's hand that way, and then if you mix in something like Engulfing Flame Wave, you're also actually forcing three cards out of your opponent's hand, or four cards, just to get them to stop you doing this. And once they start running low on armor, the deck just really starts to power through. So I was on Fi, it's a ninja. That kind of gave me a solid basis of how I need to approach various matchups. We also had a bit of a chat about sideboarding later on during the tournament. I talked to a few other people about sideboarding, what they'd learned, that kind of stuff. So I kind of built a bit of knowledge on the fly. How did it go? Well, the long and short is on day one, I went 6-1. So I went 2-1 in the draft. I drafted an ice, uh, a Dromai deck um, that was just pretty decent. Um, I played two fives in a row, lost one, very close game, beat the second one. Uh, there were only two fires in our pod, so you can imagine their decks were quite good. And then I got up against an Icelander, which obviously is where Dromai is stronger. And I finished the game with um, a Necria, an Uvia, a Themai, and six Ether Wings on the board. So you can imagine how that game went. Into the CC, playing this deck for the first time in a competitive constructed event, and arguably for the first time into some matchups, I will say the deck did actually perform in the way that people told me it would. Like, I was being able to be very aggressive. Um, people didn't really know what they were handling on day one. 
So, you know, I went up against an old him who tried to fatigue my deck, which obviously doesn't work against Fi, which a lot of old hymns now know if they've been testing. Um, and I basically didn't lose a single point of life that game because he only hammered me three times. And each of those times I had a defense reaction, which I had been saving for the inevitable Oak and Old sort of style situation. But ultimately, he just took Phoenix Flame damage every turn, took Lava Burst here and there, and I basically whittled him down. I went up against Tariq Patel playing Dash, which was quite interesting because Jamie had told me that his strategy for the event for Dash was just to sideboard differently and try and fatigue it. So I applied that strategy. Um, a key part of that strategy was keeping things like a race face and command and conquer so that whenever I thought Tariq was setting up a good turn, like a maximum velocity turn, I presented a six power attack at the end of my chain so that he basically had to block it or lose his arsenal or not be able to boost. And that way he couldn't get maximum velocity off. And also, like, he didn't see those attacks coming necessarily. So he would take a lot of damage from my chain to try and get a maximum velocity turn off. And then you finish the chain with something like a Command and Conquer. It makes kind of a rough dynamic for Dash to try and get through the damage. And the rest of the time I was just blocking, blocking, blocking. Things went really nicely. Okay. Um, then I played a Fire Mirror. I think the Fire Mirror was first against someone else playing a very similar list. Uh, we've had a few more reps with it. Uh, but I got a bit lucky and managed to sort of get them out while I still had five life out. Again, some of that experience from playing Katsu for quite a long time carried over in that environment. And let me kind of, you know, figure out where to eke out little advantages by playing, you know, the ninja well, even if it's a different ninja. Um, and then I played the last game of the day on Saturday was against... What was it against? Oh no, it was another Phi Mirror, but this time it was into Combo Phi. Um, and the Combo Phi list was not as good as, is, it basically is just not as good into the Mirror as the list that we were running because Combo Phi does that one big explosive turn. Um, whereas the deck that I was playing just threatens mass draws twice, every, like once or twice every turn. So you're kind of in a situation where we're going, you know, okay, you have your big turn. His big turn took me from 39 to 16 life but at the point at which he got his big turn set up i had already been chipping him away got him down to like 21 life and once all of his equipment was gone his armor was gone um you know he'd used mounts to the pouncing links i still had mask of momentum up um it was basically a case of me just going here's a mask threaten here's a mask threaten block a bit here's a mask threaten and basically he had to block every turn his life went down when he didn't because he was trying to push damage through. And you kind of just win that matchup. So that was really good, actually. Um, and then day two happened. Um, like, let's start off with a few things. So I didn't have a lot of reps on this deck. I'm quite frustrated with Uprising Draft overall. Um, you know, Uprising Draft for me, we have this mad situation where it's like you can draft an amazing Dromai deck and still um, like lose to a mediocre Fi deck. Same with Icelander, you know, it's very hard to actually sit there and say drafting anything but Fi is the right decision. And a lot of people I know have just gone in and said, I'm drafting Fi every time and have won a lot of games with that strategy. Personally, I prefer Icelander, um, but I'll draft whatever it feels appropriate because I just want to keep drafting my seat and I want to see how that plays out. Those signaling is also really weird in this set for various reasons. But this isn't turning into a draft review video. There's been plenty of those and you guys know I'm just not really a fan of Uprising Draft. I don't personally think it's very good um but but of course what we are here to talk about is how i did on the day um on the morning of day one uh sorry on the morning of day two i forced 
I basically drafted five. Five was a really good seat for me. I had a Dromite to my right, Icelander next to him, um, and then another five there, but I had basically two in between. And then to my left, I had Icelander, um, Dromite, five, five, basically. So I think there were three fives in the pod. I was right next to someone drafting Icelander, right next to people. So I was in a really good seat for five, so I drafted Fi. Um, I made, I think, one mistake in the draft, which wasn't taking a Tide Flippers early on, because I didn't realize, I think, in the pick two that I was going to be on Fi. I was like, I'd started off with a Sash or a Blaze Headlong, and I was like, okay, maybe I'm still going to be on Drobi that, you know, I haven't really forced it. You know, I didn't, you know, I didn't force it as hard as I could have forced it. So then I, then I did, and I was like, damn, I really should have taken that Tide Skippers. But I also kind of was like, if, you know, if I might get one of these later on, which I didn't. Um, I got all the other equipment slots. I just didn't get a Tide Skippers, which was frustrating. Um, I ended up going 2-1 in that draft. I played, unfortunately, the other Fi. I played one of the other Fi straight away. Um, won the dice roll and then just basically lost on variance. So, um, you know, that's like a three-turn game. So he went first. I blocked out. That was fine. I think I took one damage. Fine. I draw up a great hand. I sink him down to... Um, down to I think eleven or ten, and then he comes back and puts me down to thirteen, and then I draw a full hand of yellow and blue two blocks, and he comes in for like sixteen damage over five attacks, and I'm like I block all of it, but then he gets another full hand and comes at me again. I block as much as I can. Basically, that one hand of all blues and yellows just completely blew me out of the water. Then I played um, an Icelander. Um, did Icelander? It was. Then I played an Icelander. Uh, and essentially, the lack of the Tide Slippers kind of lost me that game. But again, also, I drew a really um, sort of weak hand in terms of, like, on turn, I think, three. I drew this really, really bad hand that just didn't push any damage. Um, and... You know, it just it just sort of you know went out of the water. Um, also, the Icelander had like Insidious Chill and put that on the table really early. So it was kind of like I was fighting this uphill battle against Insidious Chill. Um, and it was like, what do I actually do against this? Because I'm losing tons of cards from my hand, but I'm still coming through for damage. And I just really just needed a red or two more just to push some damage. Um, because obviously, you know, you can't block Icelanders AB. Um, you know that much. You don't even have AB, and if you have AB, it's just one. You kind of do have to race, and if you don't get the racing cards, you can't actually do it, which is a bit frustrating. So that that kind of happened, and then I'm I'm zero two after going six one, so I'm starting to get a bit sort of frustrated. Um, and then um, I get paired. It was interesting that like, Gem is really weird when it does draft in the middle of pods. I don't know if people know this, like because I started on six one, um, I got paired against the, and I I was zero two. I got paired against the person who was 1-1 one, one in our pod that started the pod on 5-2. Five, five, so he had already won a game in our pod. I probably had the worst deck because I was on 0-2. But for some reason, because we started the draft on different scores, he actually got paired into me, which I view as being quite a weird. Like, I should play the other 0-2. I should play the other person in the draft who is on the same score as I am in the draft, right? Otherwise, I'm in punished... Um, for going into a mixed draft pod, as I'm being unlucky, basically, to be the bottom of the 6-1 bracket and then get put in with the 5-2s. Because even if I lose even if I lose one game, I'm still going to have to play against people who've won a game. 
um, and I could still basically be in a situation where I'm punished even more for going into a draft on higher um, on higher rankings than I was, you know, than than I would be if I just went in on lower rankings. So that's kind of interesting. Um, it's kind of interesting to see that happen um, in practice because I've heard of it happening, but it hasn't happened to me. Um, but you know, it's kind of really interesting to see how that went. And obviously, I was a bit salty at the time because I thought I should be playing the other zero too. Like, I mean, I just lost two games in a row. I didn't want to go up against someone whose draft deck was good enough to win one game. I wanted to go up against the other person who was also failing in the draft. Right. Um, thankfully, I managed to pull that game out. So I actually left the first draft on day two, um, still alive for top eight. So by that I mean I was um six and three um sorry seven and three which means that you know if i didn't lose a single game in cc i would um you know i would make the top eight and the thing is i had gone four zero yesterday so i was feeling at least thank god we're out of draft i'm much more comfortable on the cc deck it feels like a ninja let's go and play some cc um and then CC started off with a game against francesco gorgio who's one of the very good players in the uk on ultim Maybe a little overconfident going into this game, thinking, hey, I 40 would an Ultim yesterday. How hard can this be? Francesco plays a much more aggressive version of Ultim, which I knew already before I started playing him because I'd played him before at UK events. And he came in, basically, it kind of felt like, uh, in some ways, he got all of the things he needed to get to lock me down, and my deck didn't do what it needed to do to dodge it. Um, and by that, I mean, like, he saw his two this rounds on me quite early. Um, he saw his three crush the week quite early. When he crushed the week to me, like normally I my deck can probably take crush the week and come back in with a mounting anger, blaze headlong. Like I have quite a lot of fours, but every time he crushed the week to me, I had just a handful of threes and it just wasn't gonna work. Um and then one crush the week, I was kind of really nicely set up to actually come back with a decent attack. But that was the one way he had the pummel. Um and then he had some nice like snow unders and stuff like that. So he's very heavily teched against Fi. Um also like I did kind of play badly like this is what so this is what i'm gonna talk about on day one i was really happy because every game i played was clean i went home i slept really badly you know i woke up just not feeling out of it came into the draft one two in the draft and then went straight into cc and i was still just not feeling like 100 percent. like for example when old him ice reacts you and you have a blue in your hand the appropriate thing to do is not to put the blue back on top of your deck right it's to trigger flamescale furnace um pitch the blue and get two resources right so that you can still sword phoenix flame etc i didn't do this right and i didn't do this later again when i played icelander because i was clearly just not functioning as well as i should be and i didn't really deserve to win that being said the ultim game is still not super favorable for ultim he still ended up on six life um <clears throat> he had to take a lot of damage to try and finish me off and in the end he only successfully finished me off with a Macho Grand, and obviously, you know, that's how the game goes against Guardian. They get your armor, and then they come in with that final dominate to finish you off. But it did feel like for a while there, we were kind of on a knife edge where Phoenix Flame was chipping him down. He was down to six life. I had pushed a decent chunk of damage through, and if I had maybe had one less turn of control, um, I actually would have pushed it through. So that's quite interesting. Um, then, so that's old him. Close loss knocked me out of contention for the top eight, but Still money to be won, still PTIs to be won, top 32s, top 64s. If I win a top 64, I pay for my entire trip because I'm coming from the UK. My trip was only 300 quid plus food. So, you know, I pay for my entire trip. It's actually really cool. Um, so that's where we went. Um, next game I played versus a Briar 
it was a close game, but unfortunately, Briar is actually quite good into the version of Fire we were running, especially the Briar decks that run a lot of on hits instead of just straight damage. So there was a close game, but he won. Sam, then I'm now like on a losing streak. Uh, I think I was then seven, um, five, and just being like, this is going away from me. You know, I don't even know if I can make top 32 anymore. So then I. Um, played up against an Icelander. Now, Icelander is actually a good game for Fi because she doesn't actually put up that much large amounts of damage and you don't really give her an opportunity to set up any of her combos to deal large amounts of damage. So actually, I was feeling quite good. But again, I did misplay. So, you know, when we get the um, Brain Freeze coming in, for example, I should be pitching a blue to um, to the Furnace to get some resources. I shouldn't let him Brain Freeze my blue back on top of my deck. So I can't attack. If he brain freezes a red, it's fine because I can still sword him. You know, there's lots of little interactions where reps really would have helped me not having them really caused the problems there. And then I had one more game against Briar where I kind of got blown out of the water. Um, again, I would I say blown out of the water. It was still a close game. The deck I was playing did put out a lot of damage. It did threaten a lot of mass triggers. It forced people to interact with it and block it. But it did still feel like you know, this is real trouble. This is a real struggle. Um, so that was the Pro Tour. Um, obviously, I played day one of the Pro Tour, day two of the Pro Tour, so I didn't play the Calling. Then there was the Battle Harden. Now, like, the Battle Harden was weird for me, right? Because I had, like, some weird experiences, um, notably with judging. Um, so I was playing the Battle Hardened. I drafted this amazing Icelander deck. I got Insidious Chill, Pack 1, Pick 1. Got all the equipment, got everything. I went 3-0 in the first um, draft. In the second draft, um, you know, we were there drafting. I was drafting normally, doing my usual drafting. So I pick, um, shuffle, and then count the cards face down. And the judge was like, you forgot to shuffle. I was like, no, no I didn't. Um, dismissed it, whatever. Um, and then the judge came back again. He's like, you forgot to shuffle. I was like, I really didn't. Um, this is the the next pack, right? Um, a few picks later. And there's like three cards left. I was like, I don't think I did. I think I shuffled. He was like, you didn't. I didn't. I saw you. I was like, okay, cool. And then he says it a third time, look, you haven't shuffled. Uh, this is for a different pick. Again, I think there were like two or three cards left in the pack. And it was like, I'm pretty sure I have. Um, but all these times I was like, like, we'll say for maybe 95% of the pack, I definitely shuffled. And maybe these three things I just forgot. Maybe there weren't that many cards left. Maybe I was just messing around with the cards. I didn't shuffle it, right? Which is fine enough. But for me not shuffling three times in like the Sunday side event when I'm really tired and obviously my dyspraxia is flaring up um, because I'm tired. So, you know, I have that dyspraxia, which is a basically a developmental condition, um, but, but like a coordination thing. Um, I don't develop muscle memory as quickly as other people. I don't competitively draft all that often. Um, but also when I get tired, my I get more clumsy and things go kind of weird. Um, so... You know, I may have forgotten to shuffle. That's fine. That's fine. Fine to be called out on it as well. And the judge didn't do it in a way. I got a little offensive because my brain was in the draft and not in disruptions for things I'm pretty sure I did properly in my head. And maybe I didn't, you know, I can't say that. But in my head at the time, I'm thinking, how would I not have shuffled? I totally shuffled. Like, leave me alone. I'm, I'm trying to draft. Um, But at the end of the draft, the judge then takes me aside and we have a whole, like, huge conversation about why I got defensive, like, um, why I wouldn't have shuffled, what my drafting strategy was. I don't, like, all my drafting habits are or something. I don't know that I have them. I guess I do. Um, they're, they're still changing all the time. I haven't done that many cool drafts. 
Um, and then he was like, why is one of these cards on the bottom of your hit your pile of cards instead of on the top? And I, I, for one, I'm not aware of any rule, and maybe it is in there, and I just don't know that says the card has to go on the top of the pile. Um, but, you know, whatever. He said, like, why have you done that? So clearly he was he was trying to figure out if I had not shuffled deliberately to try and figure out what my opponents are picking. But of course, I knew what my opponents should be picking because I sent signals to them and I read signals from them. So I, I knew what my opponents basically were on, um, but not because I didn't shuffle the pack and i wasn't even watching the packs but anyway um this started a whole investigation he was like do you have people who can corroborate your drafting strategy i told him about the dyspraxia i was like look i will get defensive if people say i've done physical things wrong because i like to pretend that i do everything correct i don't always um but i was also fairly sure i had shuffled and i just didn't like being called on it during a draft because my bright brain was focused he was like fair enough and then he went and interviewed like jamie and a few of my other friends um, just to talk about my drafting. So at the moment, we're at a 25 minute like judge call. I didn't even, I didn't like basically it lasted for the entire amount of time that it takes to register someone else's pool. I skipped that whole part of the draft. Um, just talking about these three mistakes I made during the draft. And like, I don't, let's be clarified, I don't mind being called up on not shuffling. Like, you need to shuffle. Uh, it's very important so that you can't look at your opponent and see which card they've taken and know what class they're likely drafting. Um, but like, you know, given the number of competitive drafts that have happened in Flesh and Blood, um, and the, the number that I said I'd been to, which is, I think, two call drafts, maybe, the Pro Tour and, and Nats last year, like, I don't have a lot of experience, so it's more likely that people will make mistakes. But also, it just seemed very strict for, like, a Sunday event, which is, like, we'll talk about the Sunday event battle-hardened thing later. There's a whole segment I want to do on that. But So we'll finish up the tournament report. So I finished this really long judge call. The judge was really amiable like he was like once he talked to people and he sort of like talked to me and heard my justifications for what might have got wrong why i got a bit snappy with him etc etc he was pretty chill he just gave me a misconduct warning and just said look you know you need to get better at this i agreed um so i don't really fault him like i mean i do wonder if you know we need that sort of strictness that battle hardens but i don't really fault the way he handled it like he talked very calmly to me i was obviously a bit nervous because i just had this massive judge call for you know, what I saw a lot of other people doing, let's put it that way. Um, I'm pretty sure a lot of other people were forgetting to shuffle and doing other stuff. But like, you know, obviously this judge was watching my table, especially, um, and saw these problems and called them out. So, you know, when that situation, uh, that finishes, I go and build my deck. I actually feel like I drafted like a 3-0 Icelander deck. The only matchup I was particularly worried about was the mirror because I didn't get a spell fire cloak. Um, but I had really good deck. And the other thing was that I didn't think anyone in our pod took Dromai. Um, I passed a Themai on pack one. And then the last card that I passed to my opponent, who I thought was on Dromai, but he was opposite me, so I didn't really care because um, I wasn't likely to play him, was a Themai. So that's his pick fifth, uh, 14, pack two, Themai. Like, I, don't, I didn't think anyone was on Dromai in our pod, so I was kind of just like laughing a bit. Let's get some five. This is going well. And then in my game, now my opponent will probably disagree with this still. I don't really care. This is my podcast. I get to talk about it however I like. Um, I said, and this is how I play Icelander. Um, I resolved a sigil of permafrost. I played an ether hail blue from Arsenal. I said, respond to my trigger um, by playing Waning Moon. And when I say that, what I mean is I'm responding to the trigger of Icelander because, let's be honest, I don't necessarily want my opponent to remember that they're getting another frostbite when they decide to block the Waning Moon damage to stop themselves getting frostbite from the 
um, digital permafrost. Like I'm layering triggers to create a situation where, you know, the frostbite stack, and it just I, it just feels nice and clean to me to respond to the trigger from Icelander that creates the frostbite. Right? Maybe that doesn't make sense to other people, but I kind of don't want. I kind of don't want to resolve part of the ether hail and then try and do waning moon. I kind of want to resolve the waning moon and then start to resolve everything that happened from the ether hail. Um, that's just how my brain works. And the game rules allow me to play that way, right? So I play an ether hail from Arsenal. That creates a trigger on Icelander to generate a frostbite. I respond to that trigger by waning moon the opponent, um, which means that he will then have to take arcane damage. And because the permafrost has been fused, he gets a frostbite. So I said, cool, now you get a frostbite. And my opponent's like, well, I didn't hear you say that trigger. And I said, well, I'm pretty sure I did. Um, and then we call a judge. And the judge is like, well, you're saying one thing. He's saying another thing. Shall I go and get the head judge to try and figure this out? And I'm just like, at this point, I'm just like, I, I just lost interest. Like, I just had a 20-minute judge call. I literally did not want to speak to another judge for another second. Um... Like, just zero interest. And I should have fought my corner, right? Because I would not have played that card without saying, you know, and as a frostbite, respond to my trigger, something like that. I've played Icelander plenty. Um, and also my opponent is like, you know, I don't know. We're in a situation, we're playing in a battle hardened. It's not the most serious of events. You know, he's he's trying to do something that I think is just really poor form, which is trying to claim I haven't triggered something when it's clearly on the table as a trigger. Um, you know, I obviously say it when I play it, right? Just because I didn't give you the frostbite straight away, I don't have to if I'm responding to the trigger of Icelander. So, anyway, he said no. The guy was like, should I call the head judge? And I was like, just leave it. How bad can it be? Obviously, the addition of one less frostbite means I get sword, I get phoenix flame, I then healing bomb, I go back up to like seven life, but then he gets a full hand um, and he can just kill me, right? That guy then makes the top eight. I won't say who it was, but that's not the point. I had this opponent. He makes the top eight. Good for him, I guess. Um, I lose one game. And because it's in the battle hunt, if you lose one game, there's actually no point continuing to play because you actually literally have to have a, a 6-0 or a 5-1 score. And that loss has to be in the last round for even me in contention to get anything out of that event. So I just went, dropped, you know, sat down, sold some cards, sold some playmats to people, um, and basically just went and got drunk. Like... I guess, so that, that's my tournament report. It was a pretty rough weekend. Um, day one obviously felt fantastic. I was doing really well with the deck. I had no business doing well with. Felt really great. Day two kind of brought in the reality check. Um, you know, the hotel room, just the pillow. Everything was just bad about, like, not everything, but the, basically my pillow in the hotel and the pillows they had available were just really, really bad. Um, they were really, like, synthetic, and they were just making me, like, this is too um, TMI, but I'm going to tell you when it, they were basically just making me sweat uncontrollably all night. And I was just waking up with this soaking wet pillow and like turning it over. And like, you know, it was like I had a fever, but it was just because the pillow was really crap. And the room like was on, the air conditioning was on. It was like 18 degrees and I'm here sweating because this pillow, oh, I could get so mad about it, right? I could get so mad about it. So I was exhausted. I was just, and you know, nothing was going right. I had this really bad draft, which I kind of drafted well and then lost like to variance in the games. I had this really good Phi deck. Like, everyone who looked at it was like, this is a really good Phi deck. And I lose to variants, which is just so frustrating. And then I go into the CC. I play one really close game that knocks me out of contention for the top eight. And then I just basically kind of lose adrenaline a little bit. And the tiredness kicks in. 
the fact that I'm not going to make top eight after doing a really strong six one run kicks in, and I basically just end up losing six games on the second day and ending up seven seven just really. And then I go into the Battle Harden, which I almost didn't sign up for. It was 65 euro for two drafts with the potential of a third draft, but only eight people get it. It was 256 people, and the only prizes are for the top eight. So, you know, 248 people get nothing except a 65 euro price ticket for two drafts. I mean, okay, they're called drafts, they take lots of judges. But I would have been much happier if you just sold me like two drafts for 20 quid and didn't have like the call part of it, right? Um, and this is kind of the part of the episode. So I wanted to talk about it. The other main topic for this week, because um, it's one thing that's come up a lot on Twitter, is that this battle hunt really felt like a ripoff. Um, you know, no prize tickets for wins. If you lost one game at all in the battle hardened, it really just felt like a waste of money right? Because you couldn't make the top eight anymore and you were getting nothing for keeping on playing except the second draft, which you would get regardless. Except, of course, to get people out of dropping from the second draft because they didn't want people not showing up to the tables or drafting and then dropping. They wanted to get the tournament as small as possible to make room for side events. Tournament center said, look, if you want to drop before the second draft, we will give you three packs anyway. Why did tournament center do this? What are you going to do if you're in that hall with three packs? Um, sorry, what are you going to do in the, if you're in that hall with nothing else to do for the rest of the afternoon? Probably going to buy another side event, right? They're probably going to get more money from you. So, you know, I'm not saying that this event was deliberately prized badly to stop people from wanting to play in the battle hardened um, for the whole day. But, like, if we do the maths, that's what it looks like, right? Let's Let's just do that. That's what people are saying on Twitter. That is what the conclusion from some of the community is. I'm not going to come out and say for definite it is, but I'm saying that you you could read it that way, right? Let's say it that way, because I, I don't want to be the source of negativity necessarily. Like I can do math on business together. It's better to have someone spending £65 and then spending uh, £25. But Tournament Center have been very, very good in organizing events. The event was run smoothly. Judges were treated well. Players were treated well. We didn't really have a lot of drama. You know, there were obviously a few judge calls. There's always a few judge calls. You know, but the event was really smooth and there was good food on site. Like there weren't enough like bathrooms in the in the, the venue. There was always a queue, but it, things worked, right? Everything sort of ran smoothly. And, I, you know, Tournament Center deserves being commented for that. That's why we talk about the frictions, right? The Pro Tour was amazing. The judges were amazing. The staff was amazing. I played some amazing games of Flesh and Blood. Some of my friends did really well. Um, you know, Shamir, Matt Fawkes, both people I know from the UK did really well. Shamir's a London player. Um, I know when he started the game, I'm delighted that he's gone to fucking up oh, there. No, that's one of, my, one of my one free swear word for the episode. Um, there's, um, you know, he's he's gone to top eight a pro tour. That's it's amazing, right? You know, this guy who started playing the game and you know, um, last year has just turned around and gone and top eight at a pro tour, like amazing. And that money is like so good. And like, you know, you get six and a half grand, right? Six and a half grand and a and a gold foil. Like that is that is serious amounts of money for anyone. And I means Shamir's a bit younger as well. I'd be, you know, I think the student. I'm not really sure, but um, my point is, you know, that's a good chunk of money. I'm delighted that he's won it. Matt Fawkes, obviously one of the best players in the UK, if not the best player in the UK. Um, caught a lot of flack from the community for a little bit of like head shooting and a little bit of like you know not great play at the UK Nationals, but like. I will tell you that in the past year since that, 
he has been a really positive force in the UK community, right? He's still a bit banter. He's still a bit, you know, uh, you know, he jokes about fitness. He jokes about things being crap and like, you know, all the, you know, he, 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 he's got a good chat on him. Right. Um, but when people ask him questions, he responds. He's really friendly to people who are new to the game. He goes to lots of tournaments. He's polite. He's friendly. He plays really clean. Like, He's genuinely in the past year been, I would say, a really positive influence on the UK community. And he's, you know, he said in an interview that he really wanted to live up to the name or to the title of the UK champion. And I think in general, he probably has, actually. I think he's probably done quite a good job at doing that. Um, you know, I think a lot of the people he's spoken to will say he's made the game better. He's also not pulled any punches talking about its problems and its weaknesses. Um, and, you know, I think it kind of just shows that you know, the people you should listen to about the content of someone's character is not Twitch chat. It's not YouTube. It's not that person messed up once in Magic or that person cheated once in Flesh and Blood or whatever happened at UK National. It really is just like the community of people who play with that person regularly, right? Who see what he does, who challenge him at top tournaments. So, you know, I think like anyone who's watching this video from overseas who has a bad perception of Matt Forks, like he did some things, but he just get over it like we quite like having him around he's quite good for the game i think brings a lot of critical thinking and obviously deck building talent things like that so that's kind of what i want to say about that um top eight was great watch the vod fantastic games um you know commentary was really fun i had the pleasure to talk to tannen a bit i talked to pleasant kenobi a bit both really nice guys both really great people to be around um and it seems like all the lss staff had a really good time as well uh, the Emperor spoiler had everyone like really buzzing, like showing a card like that at an event like that is just the marketing like perfect move. Um, you know, you like you can't really <laughs> you can't really underestimate exactly how good um like how good of a marketing move it is to show a card like that to a packed room full of people who left the event just talking about it. I will say that Warrior Wizard is totally a rune blade. You're not fooling anyone, like Oh my god, he does magic and he hits people with a sword. It's a rune blade. The emperor is a. I'm not swearing twice. The emperor is a rune blade, and I will not hear anyone tell me anything different. Rune blade, rune blade, rune blade. Right. The only beauty is that we can obviously print. You know, they could have just made him. They make him a royal rune blade. Right. <laughs> Brackets. He can play warrior and wizard cards, which is what rune blade should have been able to do the entire time. But no. Right. The emperor is still cool. Okay, and hopefully we are getting more heroes in Uprising, uh, not Uprising, Dynasty. I'm still hoping for, I'm thinking we're going to get a Royal Wizard Kano who can share some of the cards with the Emperor and like bulk out both of their card pools that way. Um, I'm hoping, I think we're going to get like a Mech Warrior um, with, who, which has like a Mechanologist, which has a dagger of some kind, like a Mech dagger. Um, I also think we might get an Adult Kasai. I'm still rooting for an Adult Kasai. Maybe a draconic adult Kasai, because you can think like Saber, 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 um, Lava Burst is actually a pretty cool line for a warrior to take. Um, so adult Kasai, come on, that'll be pretty cool. Um, and, you know, I think the set has a lot of potential. I also heard like maybe hints that we're going to get a lot of treasures. Um, John uh, Warden, so Fluke, Fluke and Box, um, was hinting to me that there might be like treasures hidden in the sets and more marvels that we haven't seen before so maybe like marvel armor or marvel weapons or something from armories and volcor um that would be really amazing i'm not i'm obviously not going to speculate with miles from spoilers but that kind of little tidbit, tidbit that he leaked my way 
um, was really keen. Um, we've completely gone off tangent, right? To finish up the episode and to finish talking about the battle hardened, um, LSS really needs to decide what the hell they're doing with the Sunday event at these tournaments, right? Most of the time when I have been to these kind of tournaments before, especially in Elphavar and things like that, the Sunday event had a bit of something on the line. The main purpose that it existed for was to keep everyone who came happy with the amount of time that they'd given you for the event, right? To keep everyone who didn't make day two of the main event happy with their weekend. Not to get as much money from them as possible. Not to get to a situation where, you know, they play two rounds and then drop. Literally to keep them playing all day and make them think, well, I didn't make the main event, but I still had this really great competition and I still got this prize. Every other big card game I've played, and let's face it, I haven't played a lot of Magic. I haven't played a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh! or anything like that. But the LCGs, at least, understood this really well. Someone is traveling to an event for me for a weekend. I'm going to put them in a really competitive crucible on day one and ask them, are you good enough to get to day two? Are you good enough to make the top eight? If they don't, okay, and it's a long weekend, then obviously you do something like a calling, a second competitive event. Can they make the day two? Can they make the Sunday? Right. But if it's a two-day event or if it's a three-day event, that Sunday tournament isn't there to be super competitive. It's not there to be super grueling, in my opinion. Now, people do disagree with me. Some people only play fab for that competitive angle. But there are loads of people who are tired of paying for side event tickets by Sunday. They're tired of being competitive after the calling of the Pro Tour didn't go well for them. And they basically just want a reason and a justification to say, I played a long day of fab. I had a really good time and I got this promo or I got something like this. They don't want one draft. I lost a game. Now I can't get any prizes. They don't want £65 for two drafts. They want bring your favorite deck, play all day, and then however many wins you get, you can get something fun from the prize wall. That's literally what the prize wall is there for. Like, what the hell is the prize wall there for if no one in the Pro Tour can get prizes, no one in the Calling can get prize, prize tickets, and no one in the Battle Hardened can get prize tickets? So if I go to a big event like this Pro Tour weekend, which I did, and I play in the Pro Tour and the Calling and the Battle Hardened, I have zero prize tickets, which means the prize wall is just not there for me. And if the prize wall isn't there for the people who are there for the really big events that are happening at the weekend, what the hell is it there for, right? Just to fund side events and make people spend money on booster drafts to farm tickets. Does that really seem like a good use of a prize wall? Does that really seem like a good use of like cold foil frostbite, cold foil um, spectral shields? What if every single person who entered the battle hardened got given a cold foil frostbite or a cold foil spectral shield for reaching the end of the day? Or for like, say, playing half of the rounds. So a round four participation prize um, after the second draft, you know, maybe round four. So you've done the second draft. You've played your first game. You might be ready to start calling it a day. Someone comes around, hands you a spectral shield or a frostbite. You think, okay, well, I, may, I, I did two drafts. I got this really cool promo. I'm feeling reasonably better now. Instead, you're like, well, because I decided to do two drafts, I lost my chance to play in side events, which were cheaper. Uh, I lost my chance to win any prize tickets. And I actually just leave the venue with nothing. Like, I was in the Pro Tour, so I got Matt sleeves, and that's it. That's all I got this weekend, right? Now, for the Pro Tour, it's fine. The prizes are 
like quite generous. They go down to 62nd. If I had done better on day two, I would not be complaining. I would have some money. But is every event that happens at these sort of competitive weekends to be held to that standard? To be held to the, if you don't get to the top eight, go bleep yourself, you know? Is that what we want from Fab? Or should there at least be one event on the weekend that's actually kind of generous and is actually like gathering up all the people who are tired, disappointed, their weekend hasn't gone the way they wanted it to, they're worried about their future in the game, gathering all those people up and saying, look, come and have some fun. Come and have some fun. Come and get some participation prizes. Come and play all day with your mates. The pressure is not as serious. And, you know, if you do amazingly well, you can have this really cool prize. If you don't do amazingly well, pick up some tickets, get some prizes from the prize wall. That is my takeaway from the Pro Tour. Obviously, there's loads more that we can talk about. We'll talk about next week because I am going back now that it's a bit cooler. Now that I'm back from holiday, we are going back to like regular scheduled um, episodes every week or every two weeks, depending on what's been happening. We are going to talk about Prism. We are going to talk about the new meta once Prism goes next week. That's going to be really exciting, but I don't want to cover it in this episode today. Um, and then, of course, we are also going to talk about some other things, right? Got online, February, fighting, um, and things like that. So we'll cover that. Also, like, let me know if you're interested in this. People who are listening to the end of the episode, obviously, you are my big fan, so I do appreciate you guys. Um, I am thinking about starting. Now that we've got Flesh and Blood online, um, the major obstacle to me streaming, I love streaming um, card games. The major obstacle to me streaming was just that on TTS, if I'm not talking to my opponent, it just doesn't really feel like there's a point, right? It's it's there for me to chill with my mates and chat, right? With Flesh and Blood Online, I can get games. I don't have to talk to my opponent. It is all automated. So I am thinking about starting streaming on Monday evenings, Mondays or Tuesdays. I haven't yet decided. Maybe Thursdays. Um... And I'm just basically trying to gauge people's interest in just watching me play. Because it's like fab. It'll be anywhere between two, three, four games on a night. I'll probably play for like two hours on Monday, Tuesday, or Thursday. Um, and if people are really keen, I might do more. But, you know, this is actually a way that I can deliver gameplay to people and talk about fun decks that are going on in more of a demonstrative way. So if you're interested in that, let me know. Um, as always, I do still have this huge um, stack of Herald of Rebirths. Um, those are available to my Patreons. It's pretty much basically a, a subscribe to Patreon and I get to send you some Herald of Rebirth things. Existing Patreons, if you are wondering why I haven't sent them out, it's pretty much for all the reasons that I haven't played much fab. Um, I know I am behind in my duties. I do apologize. Anyone who is subscribed to my Patreon or has cancelled but was subscribed when I said they would get them, I will still be sending Herald of Rebirth to you. If you are one of my Patreons and you haven't given me your address, I will be reaching out to you to get your address. I have just been incredibly busy, traveling a lot, really tired. So, you know, here's my apologies. I do hope to bring the channel back with a bit more energy. Um, I do still quite like Flesh and Blood. Um, though it is very sad that my you know, lovely, bloody Prism sleeved Prism deck is now retired. But I think the game will be better that she's gone. And we'll talk about that more next week. So have a great week. I'll talk to you all soon. And bye.